This episode of The Yarn is sponsored by Heinemann in their professional book, Read the World, Rethinking Literacy for Empathy and Action in a Digital Age. Colby talked with co-author Kristen Zimke about the book. This book is about technology in the classroom. You know, we feel like maybe the last few years, people have gotten distracted by all the things. And when we look at what we should be doing with kids, it's not about the things, but it's really about helping kids tell their story. It's about helping kids hear the stories of others. We really hope that educators can start seeing these devices as empathy machines and leveraging them to do good in the world and be used as tools for thinking. Technology can be a force for good in the classroom. Read the World, Rethinking Literacy for Empathy and Action in a Digital Age will show you how. Visit Heinemann.com to learn more and order a copy. Hi, my name is Owen Colfer, and I am an Irish author best known for the Artemis Fowl series, and now the upcoming spin-off series, The Fowl Twins. Welcome to The Yarn, a School Library Journal production. I'm Travis Yonker. Well, these last few weeks have been unlike anything I've ever experienced. I hope everyone listening is staying healthy and safe, and we're able to get the coronavirus under control as soon as possible. Thank you for listening to the show. On today's episode, Owen Colfer. During the 2019 ALA Annual Conference in Washington, D.C., I sat down with Colfer to talk about his wildly popular Artemis Fowl series. A companion series called The Fowl Twins is underway, with the next book set to arrive in the fall of 2020. In this episode, Colfer talks about a writing tool he cribbed from Roald Dahl, the challenges of writing book two, in a popular series, and Colfer describes how an old photo of his brother inspired Artemis Fowl. Let's get started. Artemis Fowl uh, is an unusual story in that I took the decision to promote the bad guy to the leading man, uh, and I had no idea if that would be popular or not. And in this case, the the bad guy slash leading man is 12-year-old Artemis Fowl, an Irish boy whose father is a crime boss. And when his father goes missing, uh, Artemis inherits this criminal empire. It's, It's unusual that I can trace an idea directly back to a single event. But uh, in this case, I saw a photograph of my little brother, Donal, uh, which is just Donald without a D, make of that, as you will. And he was making his first communion, uh, first Holy Communion. And in Ireland, when you do that, you have to wear a full suit. Uh, Not really anymore, but back in the 70s, 80s, you would wear like a proper wedding suit. Uh, So I saw this photo of Donal um, when he was, I don't know, seven or eight uh, and he had on this um, suit, and it was like 1970s Roger Moore, James Bond. It was like a double-breasted and a plaid trouser, so it was a very strange suit anyway. But he had his hair all slicked down for the day, and he had a very impish grin. And I just remember thinking to myself, he just looks like a James Bond bad guy. And wouldn't that be a brilliant character, a 12-year-old James Bond bad guy? Uh, of course, you'd have to be a genius because they all, they're all geniuses. 
think I, I, I began at the beginning. For many years, I used to do everything in order, uh, but now I don't um, because I feel that if you have an idea and you're really excited about that, you should just write it and write that scene. And you can always tailor it to fit into the jigsaw. But if you really feel, oh, this is a great scene, just don't put it away for a year. And then when you get to it, you're, you're bored with it already. Write it straight away. But with Artemis, I had this voice and it was almost like a, uh, I could hear this voice speaking to me. It was a fairy voice telling the story, not in a silly mystical way, but uh, I, I just felt, who's telling us this story? laughs in the garden um, which I call I, I call a writing space and everybody else calls a shed but I it's it's a really beautiful uh, space and I'm very lucky to have that so I go out there every afternoon and uh, once I'm in there nobody comes near me and I don't have a, a connection to the house so if someone rings the bell I don't even know and and I just work away there and it's, it's wonderful put on 1980s music and and work away, it's great. Roald Dahl used to sit in an armchair and then put a plank, and I made one of those. I said, this is great, so I got a piece of wood uh, uh, and I got some foam rubber and I glued it to the bottom and I'd sit on my lap and I was, uh, used that for, I'd say, 20 years. Uh, it's at home, still, still have it. It's, it's, uh, I wrote a lot of books by hand on that plank. So I, I felt if it was good enough for old Al, it was certainly good enough for me, if not way too good. So, uh, I had, uh, yeah, I'm very fond of that plank, which is not a sentence I ever thought I'd say. <laughs> the second book came along, The Arctic Incident, and I had started writing it before the first one came out, so that was fine. But then I began, the first one came out and it was a big hit and I knew that there would be expectations for the second book and it took me a couple of drafts more than I usually take just to get that uh, right. And luckily I had a brilliant editor, um, two brilliant editors, one in UK and one in the States who helped me through that process. I think they were familiar with it and because I went a bit over the top on some scenes and they were saying, oh, that's a little bit out of keeping with the rest of the story. And um, So once that second book came out and that hit number one, I was I relaxed then. I realized, oh, just just do what you want to do. Don't overthink it. And But I do have a crisis in the middle of almost every book where I think this is not working and I can't make this work. And maybe I should abandon the whole thing and I've, I've, I've learned to ride that out now so I just I said well why don't I do, I do a little short story for someone or maybe I'll do a little picture book for someone and, uh, and by the time I've done that this should be okay and usually that your subconscious figures it out for you and, and you get going but I, I have to say I, I've never written a novel where I didn't almost give up One of the questions I get a lot from young writers is that I'm halfway through this idea, but now I've had another idea, and I feel I should stop my first idea. And I always say, listen, you've got to finish the book. Because if you keep skipping from idea to idea, in two years' time you'll have nothing. You'll have five chapters of a lot of books. If you finish one book, 
you can finish a hundred books, but you got to finish the first one. Just finish. I mean, it's the hardest thing to do, and it because when you're finished, you're not really finished. But when you get that first draft down, you know you can do it. You know this is possible now, uh, and I can. You can tweak it and improve it. Uh, all everything has changed now because people that finish a first draft and they send it to maybe two publishers and then if it gets rejected they just put it online so I I think people aren't sometimes not all the time obviously but sometimes people are not doing themselves any favours by not kind of polishing their manuscript and not learning the craft I mean I wrote six books before I got anything published and I'm so glad now that they ever came out because they were terrible uh, so yeah it's worth really 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 rereading 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 until you have that book as sweet as you can make it like there were two or three guys in my class in school who were better writers and I'm not saying that uh, to be modest they were great writers already at like 15 16 and they just never and I could never understand that they didn't follow through and I, I I just wasn't able to stop. There were times I wanted to stop, um, but I just couldn't. And uh, thankfully, I managed to get a deal, but not until I was 31, 32, I think. So it took quite a while. I'm now more kind of a quality over quantity guy, I hope. Um, But at the time, I definitely had this rawness, which was very appealing to read. Um, and I and I would wonder why can't I would be sitting with my plank on my knee and it would be late in the evening I would have had a long day working and my wife would be you know say come on come watch TV for a while and I was I can't I have to write this um, and asking myself why can't I just stop but uh, I think really it's because I love it I just really love doing it and and there's nothing, I mean, there's, I have never had a feeling like holding a book that has your name on the bottom of it. And, and it's there now, so whether it's good or bad or mediocre, it's, it exists in the world because you, you kind of, you brought it into the world, which is a kind of alchemy, I think. Or, um, maybe not alchemy, it's not gold, but magic. <laughs> magic. Thank you, Owen Colfer, for the interview. Thank you, Philip Stead, for our theme music. Additional music for this episode by Blue Dot Sessions from the Free Music Archive. Have an idea for the show? You can contact us via email at theyarnpodcast at gmail.com and visit us online at the School Library Journal website. I'm Travis Yonker. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.